Hello, and we're back, finally. Um, this is another episode of the Brain That Named Itself podcast. Um, back in the studio, I'm David Doris. With me is Stephanie Brano. Hello. Christiana Miller. Hello. And uh, Dr. Amanda Crinsel. Hello. That was a little <laughs> too low. Hello. There we go. <laughs> um, so I guess we should apologize first off that we took a two-month vacation there. Um, we did not record in November or December. It wasn't uh, for lack of trying. We tried to schedule some stuff, but real-world stuff kept coming up. Real-world vacationing. Well, and then vacationing. <laughs> and then, of course, holidays. the holidays, holidays came up, so we decided to just experiments came up too that too and so but we're back we're back in the studio and hopefully we're going to try and make it a point to at least record one episode a month going we forward blood packed right now blood packed <laughs> yeah pinky swear uh, okay blood packed. Blood, okay blood okay. packed well i didn't i didn't bring anything sharp so <laughs> oh that's not a problem we can find something <laughs> okay but um, <clears throat> so for our first episode of the year 2020, we are going to be talking about, um, weird brains. Is that correct? Weird brains? Weird, weird brain stuff. Weird brain <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Weird brain stuff. All right. So I think Amanda's going to take off first and tell us the first story about, what was it? I forgot. I'm going to tell you guys about, um, Kind of in general, talk about like uh, invertebrate brains, but specifically we're going to get into spiders a little oh, bit. Oh, that's right. Spider brains. Mm -hmm. Spider brains. Um, so, basically, when we think about animals and their brains, um, most people are probably familiar, especially with like the human brain and in general, what we would refer to as vertebrate brain systems, which a vertebrate animal is an animal with a backbone. And essentially the way that the nervous system is set up is that there is a centralized nervous system that's very obviously the brain and the spinal cord, the spinal cord, of course, going down the backbone. And then all of the peripheral nerves extend out of the spinal cord and go all over the body. And so that's how we kind of typically think about um, the nervous system, but there's bunch of other animals called invertebrates, which are animals such as insects, spiders, uh, shellfish, worms, all kinds of, there, there's millions of those kinds of animals. And they, well, they don't have a backbone, first of all. So how is their nervous system set up? Um, so... Basically, I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit just to explain because it's not often something that people encounter in yeah. classes and maybe just in general when they like Google what a brain looks like. <laughs> they're up, you know, a, a diagram of like what a fly brain looks like definitely isn't the first thing that comes up. Sure. Um, so basically, uh, you can kind of think about invertebrates since they don't have a backbone. They don't really have what we traditionally call a central nervous system. And so really what you have, depending on the complexity of the animal we're talking about, are more dispersed neuron populations, 
or sometimes called ganglion bodies, that go all throughout the body. And of course, our neurons are also all throughout our body, but they tend to all congregate. They, they all start in the periphery and then they go to the central nervous system to feed information that way. But in invertebrates, they, not, they don't necessarily have that kind of organization. So like depending on the animal, they can have multiple ganglion and each of these ganglion can have their own processing that can happen. And then there's also this system that happens as you kind of increase through complexity of invertebrates. So, of course, you have very small, tiny, simple invertebrates. Uh, and then you can have more complicated invertebrates like an octopus, for example. It's a quite a large animal and it's quite smart animal. Um, it's a process known as centralization. So even though they don't have a central nervous system, their nervous systems as they have evolved do tend to start forming centralized body of these bodies, which can become sort of like what we now think of as like a brain, which is, again, like it's, it's basically when we're thinking about the path of like evolution of like how nervous systems develop over time, you can think of it as like really beginning nervous systems were probably just an assortment of cells that were talking to each other. And then as complexity built, they started to go through this process of centralization until ultimately when we get up to vertebrates, we get an actual central nervous system. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Are is is it generally thought or or is it real that are there their neurons are they governed by the same rules? Yeah, as so as neurons in mammals, or not mammals, but vertebrates. Yeah, so um, actually, you know, the very first time we ever recorded from neurons were from invertebrates, and a lot of what we know about like action potentials, so how neurons communicate, are from invertebrates. So, um, squid, giant the giant squid. axon mm -hmm. of the squid. So it's not uh, a giant squid's axon. It's <laughs> it's called the giant uh, axon. The squid giant axon or yep. something like that. Um, but a lot of times when people first hear it, they think, oh, it's from a giant squid. No, giant squids are incredibly rare. And I don't even think we've ever gotten one that was alive. So, um, no, it's just that um, what's interesting about like a lot of invertebrates is that their neurons can vary a lot in how big they are. And that's actually something I'm going to kind of talk about and how these uh, brains, they're, they're they're pseudo brains kind of like sometimes they do call refer to them as the brain these centralized bodies but they it's not quite the same as like how like a vertebrate brain looks mm -hmm. um but uh yeah so they they definitely function very similar they have very similar neurotransmitters um, a lot of the genes are very similar and mm -hmm. how to create Okay. Synapses and stuff. So, and then the the way in which neurons communicate, which is through the action potential, mm -hmm. the rules of I mean, it's the same, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep, definitely. And like like I said, that's how we even know anything about action potentials mm -hmm. is because of invertebrates and yeah. us recording from their neurons first. Um. So basically, like. When the centralization is happening in like these different animal species, a lot of it seems to be 
to be focused on trying to bring together many neurons that have a very similar function for a very similar like uh, sensory modality. So like vision or touch or something like that. And that's like body is coming together and it's going to be processing that kind of information, which, you know, is very much kind of like a rudimentary version of like how like our cortex is organized, right? It tends to be organized in based on this part of the brain controls this sense, this part of the brain controls that sense. And so that's kind of also what's happening in invertebrate nervous system. And so why I wanted to talk about spiders specifically is because spiders are super cool because they vary a lot in size. However, their behaviors tend to be um, not only quite complex for an invertebrate, but also very similar despite how huge the size variation is like you can have spiders that are basically microscopic or you can have like huge tarantulas right mm -hmm. and they have very similar behaviors that they yeah. do so like some of these complex behaviors that spiders do is they of course like they hunt prey which mm -hmm. is you know there's a lot that goes into hunting a prey there's uh, obviously multiple senses that they're using. There's some planning that's going on, possibly some learning. Um, and so that's like quite a complex behavior, especially for an organism that we think of as having maybe a small brain or not even really quote unquote a brain, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they can build really elaborate webs. Mm -hmm. There's jumping spiders. There's spiders that do these really elaborate mating dances, like very similar to like what birds do. So spiders do all kinds of really cool things. But one of the challenges that they have is this, this issue with size. And, you know, their very first episode Stephanie talked about uh, brain size and how mm -hmm. important brain size is to what we think of as uh, intelligence. Yeah. And uh, so like yeah. basically what, how are like, especially like spiders or other invertebrates, which can vary a lot in size, kind yeah. of uh, dealing with the way that they make their brains to have these complex behaviors. So um, basically the... The way you can think about, you know, okay, so the brains of these animals are are basically dispersed throughout the body. And actually, like, within spiders, what you can kind of think about it is that it's kind of overflowing through the body. So, actually, a lot of times, the body shape is also being dictated by how the central nervous system, or not central nervous system, how the nervous system is spread out. Is spread out. And, like, oh, so, like, basically, like, in a spider they're gonna have neurons and parts in these ganglion and stuff like that in each one of their legs throughout mm -hmm. the entire thorax and the, like the what we consider the head area. It's just all spread out. And there's this concept called brain miniaturization, mm -hmm. which is, it's basically this principle for all brains, not just, vertebra not just invertebrates, but vertebrates too, in which Evolution is trying to push you to have a smaller brain, uh, but that can process, but, but that can process more just information. Like technology, exactly. It's just like technology miniaturization. Yeah. And so, like it, a, an example we talked about previously in the podcast is like the cerebral cortex and how the way that the cerebral cortex has quote unquote been miniaturized is through folding. Yeah. 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 And so really in invertebrates, what's happening is this miniaturization is really through that dispersal that's happening throughout the body. So it's sort of like, 
even if you're really small, you can start fitting in more cells by like, they, they also alter like how big the cells are and how like wide they are, like the axons and stuff. But it's mm -hmm. basically like how you're dispersing it throughout all of the limbs and all of yeah. the projections coming off the body and stuff. Um, and maybe you'll get to this, but what are spiders like inside of them? Aren't they kind of held together in their shape by just kind of like liquid without any sort of like if you poke them then yeah. they, <laughs> they basically shrivel up and yeah. they can't maintain their shape anymore yeah and so like if you like if you were to like dissect a spider you would see that their neurons and everything is like all intertwined and around like the gut mm -hmm. and like these other organs that are necessary for them to live and it's just like it's just all over all their around. body, basically. Um, but this process called brain miniaturization, it's also known as Holler's Rule. It was proposed by Bernard Wrench based on uh, the father of physiology, who was Albrecht von Holler. So the so Wrench called it Holler's Rule, but it wasn't necessarily that Holler came up with this rule. Okay. Um, and basically it says that smaller creatures will have smaller brains, but the ratio of the mm -hmm. brain to body size will actually go up. So this is kind sense. of like this idea that, you know, with spiders, for example, you can have a really tiny spider or a really big spider. And if it follows Holler's rule, the really big spiders will have a lower brain to body size ratio, but the really small spiders will have a higher brain to body mm -hmm. size ratio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you actually see that this is held up quite a lot throughout animals. So um, like spiders definitely have this. Uh, it's been shown in like birds too. So like uh, that's kind of like one of the things I wanted to like kind of get into is that, you know, we talked about brain miniaturization in like humans with the cerebral mm -hmm. cortex. And so humans, I think, isn't it like 5% of our body weight is the brain, but obviously we use quite a lot of energy that goes to the brain. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and so does that encompass the nervous system too? Like the peripheral and um central? no, I don't think I, don't I think, think it's like, just, I think it's, it's just, just the, actual brain, the actual brain itself. Yeah, I think twenty five percent of our 20, glucose. Twenty five percent of yeah. our caloric intake. Caloric intake goes yeah. to the brain. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so basically like with this Holler's rule thing is that the idea is that you are trying to compensate for still maintaining a complex behavior, okay. essentially, um, regardless of body size. And so like, for example, you know, with mammals, we have the, the cerebral cortex and how it's folding, but with birds, um, actually, you know, some bird species like corvids, which are like crows and ravens and stuff, they're known to be very, very smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, they are very small animals compared mm -hmm. comparatively to like us, for example, mm -hmm. um, or other primates. But they have basically equal numbers of neurons in their brains to some primates even. And one of the ways that they have, quote unquote, miniaturized their brains is that their brain is just organized in a completely different way. So unlike us, which have the folding of our cerebral cortex, they don't have a cortex at all. They just pack in neurons into their brains 
and there's very little space between their neurons where like if you were yeah. to cut into yeah. like our brain you would actually see there's quite a lot of space yeah. between the neurons yeah. and so basically what spiders are doing is that they're kind of following a similar principle since they don't have a central nervous system they're mm -hmm. not confound to a, sp a backbone and then a head like a brain case yeah yeah a skull basically they're not confound to that they don't have a skeleton they have an exoskeleton mm -hmm. right yeah so they're just dispersing all of their neurons across their body so the last thing i kind of want to talk about with spiders is this that you know the way people study spiders is very similar to the way we study other animals you can do actual behavior tests on spiders mm -hmm. um, for example you know one of the cool things that spiders do is they have eight eyes and all of those eyes need to coordinate and bring in information about the outside world. And then their nervous system has to somehow process all of that competing information. Wow. And that's and like, really cool. And like figure out what's going on. And so yeah. one of the things they figure out with spiders is through these studies where they basically will paint over the different oh. eyes to figure out which <laughs> eye is necessary is, okay. for which kind of, sense of visual information. And so that actually what they figured out is that it's not that all the eyes are processing vision all the same way. Each eye is processing different components of vision. Wow. Mm -hmm. So like each eye is, is basically its own like functional unit so it's not just like the position of the is surrounding that... environment but mm -hmm. other input and, and, and it is it is bilateral so like their eyes are of course positioned all the way across their quote-unquote head um, i don't think you really call it a head but around their body like that Ugh. and so like one on the left <laughs> side and one on the right side they do have very similar functions on each side. Right. Right. But not all but of the eyes of are, do, are necessarily processing the same info. So I wonder, I don't, I don't know, maybe we don't know now, but I wonder if, you know, because they're processing different kinds of visuals, visual information. Like, I wonder how that goes back into their Yes. pseudobrains right. or, yes. right. or ganglion mm -hmm. like they, do they go to different ones or do they go yeah. to I, I wonder how that organization happens mm -hmm. especially with the visual system that yeah. they have and you'd exactly. think it'd have to be very quickly adjusted to motor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. output so that they can run away or run towards or yeah so one of the things actually <laughs> run inside that I've, I've come across before but in my reading that definitely came up when i was reading about invertebrates is that they're um the way that like these systems are set up um they form essentially like a reflex organization mm -hmm. and so this reflex organization is called a central pattern generator mm -hmm. and so basically what that means is that you basically have these motor control stations that are hooked up to uh, some kind of sensory input neurons. And essentially, okay. the way you can think about a central pattern generator, generator is that once the input comes in, the motor output has to happen. So yeah. there's not a ton of... Um, that's why it's almost... It's also why it's like referred to as reflexive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like... It, there's not a lot of like being able to stop it once it starts. And mm -hmm. so it seems like, especially with invertebrates, like they have very, a lot of their behaviors are quite reflexive. Like you can kind of think about um, maybe a spider on a web. And if they feel like somewhere on the web, like movement happening, they're going to mm -hmm. like, like maybe initiate that motor movement to go 
attack whatever right, is yeah. uh, is in their web. That's not to say that they can't do learning and like adjust behavior. Like that's kind of the whole point of neurons is that they're plastic and you know they can the changes can happen, but when you kind of study their behavior, it's almost a little more quote unquote robotic in terms of like you mm-hmm. do this, this always this happens. Happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So that's <laughs> you can kind of maybe that's kind of how it's being organized. Like if they see like for example, like something jumping at them, yeah, then their body is reflexively gonna like jump away, for example. Right. To get away. Yeah. And they're good at that. Mm-hmm. They're good at getting away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. So yeah, that's that's why I want to talk about spiders. I had a pet spider that you had I a found pet in spider? my yard that really? lasted for two days because I was obviously not treating it. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of spider was it? I have no idea. It was like the size of a not a quarter. That's too big. A little bit less than that. And I put it in a box. So like a nickel. <laughs> maybe like a nickel maybe yeah a little bit bigger maybe what was the spider's yeah. name it was named after my best friend <laughs> i'm sure your best friend loved that <laughs> yes she did actually oh that's good yeah and you, i was devastated you had a lot when of strange died. pets yeah we've heard of a lot of your strange pets <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i've not i well we did have a dog for a little bit <laughs> it didn't no well, it didn't last it long didn't, no 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 it was taken away <laughs> To a different Aww. house, to a different place. It's still, it was still ours, but it didn't live with us. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, technically, we all have a lot of pet spiders. We just might not know. That's right. Exactly. About them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feed them all the time. You just uh, don't know it. I yeah. do. What? Do I feed them? Crumbs, yeah. maybe. Well, I give, I give their food a home as there well. You go. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. They, food, and then they f- take their food and uh, out of my home. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Ugh. That's okay. I don't know if I have any more respect for them. I might still kill them if I see them. <laughs> Does that mean? A little mean. Aww. I mean, they, if they're cute, maybe I'll keep them around a little longer. Yeah. I mean, in general, as long as they're not uh, venomous. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. poisonous is plants yeah. and venomous is animals, right? Yeah. yeah. As long as they're not venomous. Well, they're, they're not gonna you know me. I've had some spider troubles. It's so true. I've, <laughs> for those listening, I've lived with many spiders that hatched and they were all over me all the time and my stuff in my drawers and my yeah. shoes yeah, and fun. my hair. So like, oh, I'm not God. super <laughs> keen on them. But anyway. Well, now you know that even the really tiny ones are really smart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of scary. <laughs> they have brains. Yeah. Brains. So I wasn't sure how we were going to segue when we started this, but I kind of figured it out as we were talking. So, yeah, we're going to go from, you know, how you pack in as much brain as you can Mm -hmm. into a Mm -hmm. body to this here. So I've got a question for you guys. How much brain do you need to actually have a a full and functional life? Do you know? Well, they always, that saying that obviously isn't true, that you only use 25% brain or whatever that, I don't know what the number is. I have an answer. Um, there is a chicken uh-huh. that got his head cut off, I okay. his name, but he survived uh-huh. and he like walked around and still did chicken things, even though he didn't have Except a head. eating. But he he, had he get, was fed. He had to get fed through. Yeah, he had a little. He had a little it, hole yeah. for his throat, and so he would get fed oh, that way. Oh wait, I do remember this. So he story. basically had just like a brainstem. Yeah. I think. 
I remember this story. Just yeah, the brain. Because maybe, you maybe need some the brain stem to deflation to have your heart. Maybe he yeah. had some cerebellum too, but I don't know. But yeah, he. So, it was well, like a botched. Okay. Uh, beheading. Right. I do. I do remember this. Well, they say. There not there that saying that you can run like a chicken without a head? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your head no, is that that's more running about the re- reflex. Well, like that's the reflex. Like that's, a, that's, that's just a chicken, though. Is that true? They really do. Yes, run they really do. Yeah. It's so all the this neurons are firing in the body, and it just runs around. But and anyway. in that case, they but probably like, thought it was like that a chicken situation. with your head cut Yeah, off. that's what I, mean. yeah. That's what I was talking. She was. I don't know if she was no, trying to refer that humans could do that, but well, it's just a saying. Okay. No. I was just. <laughs> Maybe we can. Has anyone ever tried? <laughs> but anyway, we're getting away from the topic yeah. than okay. I anticipated here. <laughs> you you <laughs> asked the question. I did. I asked the question and it. I started it. But I, what I was talking about was getting a, you know, an actual, you know, normal style of life. Not just, you know, living, but mm. actually fully functional and stuff like that. Would you have a guess? Of how See? much your brain you need. Yeah. I don't want to cheat. percent. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, yeah? That's yeah. a pretty good number there. <laughs> That's a good number. All right, what is it? Okay, <laughs> well, would you believe that there are actual people out there that are only living with 50% of their brain? Hmm. Yes. I believe, I believe it because yes. I feel like you're going to tell us <laughs> yeah, exactly tell who us about are. <laughs> Man, okay. You guys are on to me here. So I wanted to talk about, um, so this, I found this story oh, a while back. It was actually published back in 07 um, in Scientific America. Um, what caught my attention was the picture that they had presented. Um, it was just basically an MRI scan of this uh, boy. And he was missing. Well, he wasn't missing. Well, he was missing, but (laughs) it wasn't like he lost it. It was removed um, one hemisphere Uh of his brain. And it was a very cool image. One complete hemisphere. One complete hemisphere. Clean cut. Clean cut out of his. It was Mm -hmm. over four surgeries when he was like three years old. Oh, my gosh. So when I first, when I saw that, I thought that was, wow, that was really cool. And of course, you know, we study... The brain and we stu- we really were very interested in plasticity brain plasticity and this story was very fascinating to me because not only did he survive but he has thrived with only one hemisphere of his brain um at the time when i was reading this i thought he was like it was like novel it was a novel surgery and everything mm-hmm. like that it was of course it was emergency surgery he had some sort of um neurological disorder that required this surgery. Um, But I was actually very shocked and surprised to find out that it isn't as novel as I thought. Well, Mm. when I say novel, it isn't as rare as I thought. They've actually used this procedure many times. And it's a procedure called hemispherectomies. Mm. Uh, And hemispherectomies was uh, first done in a dog in 1888. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, what so well, yeah, what was the rationale for doing it in a dog? I don't know, and I don't really want to dig into that because <laughs> yeah, that might, 1888 they, they, they did some they bad very stuff. Loose yeah. It might be just too funny yeah. just to <laughs> see. Yeah, did yeah. Some stuff. We do I won't even name the person who did it because you know I don't want to besmirch anybody. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was first done in humans in 
1928 um, by wow. a doctor called Walter Dandy. And it was for uh, a patient that had uh, a glioblastoma in, in one hemisphere mm, of his brain. Okay. So they took um, the whole thing out. Yeah, so they dug the whole thing out. So, um, And was this person an adult? It, he was an adult, okay. yes. Um, and it was... It was an emergency type of thing, as far as I could say tell, and he lived a little while longer, but not you know a full full life. Mm -hmm. But they revitalized uh, hemispherectomies in the 1980s um, for basically as a treatment for children with um, brain disorders and mainly for seizure uh, seizure type. Uh, of symptoms depending on what was causing the seizures. Mm -hmm. So the reason, the rationale behind revitalizing this in children was because children's brains are young and they're very plastic and they usually can bounce back from mm -hmm. pretty good trauma. So when you say that they're not as uncommon as you thought, is right. this, are they common equally for children and adults or is it, it still it, something that's mostly no, it's still done for children mostly for children okay um and it's usually they 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 try they i wouldn't say they exhaust every other aspect but they really um it's a last mm -hmm. did not a last well, i mean it's last a resort. the last option last that option that you would want to go for right yeah they would like to to explore other options before they get to this stage um, and, um, but one of the patient criteria is of this procedure is being a child okay. or a, a young, uh, person mm -hmm. because of the survival rate. The survival yeah. rate is a lot higher for them and the success, success rate as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, so there is two different types of uh, hemispherectomies. Um, there is the anatomical hemispherectomy, which is the actual removal of the hemisphere. And then... They have in the last, oh, let's see, tw 20 years, they came up with another one called a fu functional hy hysterectomy. And basically that is more hysterectomy? of <laughs> <laughs> hemispherectomy, functional hemispherectomy. Thank you. Um, Hopefully hysterectomy is yeah, functional. Not, not yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Though there has been a case. I think of a woman who had a hysterectomy who's still not pregnant. Yeah. I, oh my. Because the baby can implant elsewhere. <laughs> super dangerous. That Ooh. baby wants wants to be born. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. <laughs> cool. There we go. You can have a functional hysterectomy. If you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, functional hemispherectomy. Basically, they go in. Um, because we now, because by that point we've started to know more or less the locations of different functional, uh, uh -huh. functions of the brain. And then with the MRIs and all that, we can actually see where the seizures are taking place. So we can go in and remove or cut tissue that without taking out a whole hemisphere. Yeah. Like, so where maybe the seizures are locally starting before they spread throughout right. the whole brain. Right. Yeah. And they have done these in adults with really good success yeah i mean cool. like the one of the most famous is like patient hm who had the his hippocampus removed mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah for for epilepsy and that was both 
both sides. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Bilateral. And obviously way, that, way. That definitely he didn't, he wasn't normal afterwards. But. Yeah. He was not. And mm-hmm. that was a long time ago that right. they did that surgery. Right. But it's, it's, I think the idea is similar probably. Yeah. yeah. Is there a specific hemisphere that is like yeah? Do they like go better for one so or, or <laughs> it's mainly the um, it's where the the uh, is there's a problem or something. The, yeah, where there's a problem. So with the case that I was actually in, very interested in, he had uh, a neurological disorder which caused one lobe of his brain to grow faster than the other, so it was putting a lot of pressure in his skull and oh. it was causing the seizures. And they wow. didn't know how to arrest the growth, so yeah. they decided to remove. Um, and he was three oh. years old when this happened, and he did it over four surgeries. Um, it was, uh, and that was back in 07. And currently he is 15, mm-hmm. and he is pretty much a functioning human wow. being. Pretty much? <laughs> well, I mean, like, is so, he fully, of, or of course, what does well, pretty no, much mean? Pretty much. So, he has some motor issues, of okay. course, mm-hmm. and of course, he has some visual issues. Yeah, that makes sense. So, he has blindness in the left side of both eyes because mm-hmm. uh, they yeah. removed his, the right side of his right hemisphere. Okay. Um, so, he has and, to move his head around a lot more to see Probably. Probably. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) what an interesting thought. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Of course, you know, for people who don't understand what we were talking about, the you know the right hemisphere will processes the left side of the visual field. Mm -hmm. So when you remove that, you lose. Yeah. So basically, uh, like most things, sensory information crosses to the other side of the brain mm-hmm. but with like vision like basically both eyes process the left side and the right side it's just that they, it's based on the what the field like right. dave said the visual, the visual field. field right mm-hmm. so both well, I mean, eyes actually, would yeah. still get input they both it's get not input, like he's yeah. covering one of his eyes it's like he mm-hmm. like if you stare forward you literally only see all the stuff on the right or the yeah. left or whatever but from you don't see but if you eyes. cover your eye you can still see pretty much everything right mm-hmm. yeah so it's yeah but actually i think i got that wrong well i mean no, you got it right. Got you right? said left visual left field, visual field. Yeah. right because right. right hemisphere. hemisphere. Yeah. 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 Okay. What just... about his hearing? Was there anything about his hearing? Mm-hmm. Um, they did not address his hearing. Well, I didn't see where they said anything about his hearing, but mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure that there was some. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, your hearing's also it's the same thing. Your mm-hmm. right side processes mm-hmm. the, left the left side. side yeah, the left ear. Right, but they have not seen any. Uh, indication that it, that um, he has any personality di- personality disorders. Mm. He's uh, able to speak and understand language completely normal. Wow. He has actually... Um, well, it's probably good then it was his right side since language is often processed in the left side. Is the right like the creative side? Or well, that's, the- that's not <laughs> That's not <laughs> so, real. I know, I know. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, yeah. there is another case of a guy who had his left side oh. removed. And he went on to actually uh, went to college. Mm-hmm. Is very brilliant, and is a very and has developed a high sense of language. Oh, that's awesome! He has missed his left side of his mm. normal. You know, mm-hmm. then he had this procedure also as a baby, also as a kid, as a yes. kid. Mm-hmm. I'm sure um, the brain can compensate. That's really yeah. Cool. I bet you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's probably compensation. But also, I know that um, the left lateralization of language 
can be very variable between people mm-hmm. how much the right side does process language mm-hmm. and also I, I feel like I might be completely wrong about this, but I feel like it also has something to do with handedness. Like people who oh. are left-handed tend to have less lateralization, meaning that they it's more dispersed between the two hemispheres. And that's why when you see like people recruiting to do brain imaging in humans, they tend to only ask for right-handed people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Hmm. That is pretty cool. Yeah, but that's that's cool that so, I mean, he, he was probably so young that yeah yeah. So, so like if if it's only half of it, does it have like take up? I mean, I don't know, jiggle around up there. <laughs> <laughs> so the, <laughs> um, been, over the next after the surgery, over the next weeks or so, the uh-huh. actual the ca- the cavity actually fills up with cerebral spinal fluid. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so, good. Yes. So it, it's all secure. It's all secure. <laughs> good question. Good question. Yeah. I yeah. mean, someone's yeah. got to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Did they say anything about his pituitary? They did not. Well, I, they like, probably don't. And like, it was there it, but it's kind of like, it's just no, like they, right they there probably, in the they center. They probably don't almost. remove that far down. It's probably just the. Yeah, I really wonder. The actual it's, cerebral cortex. Yeah, it's load. mostly it's the just cortex. cortex. Yeah, it's uh, mostly cortex. Okay. Yeah. Um, they cut the callosum. They uh, and they remove it. They leave. So, so if shit. I'm remembering right from the actual MRIs, I mean the the, the brain stem is completely intact, uh-huh. and so is the um, cerebellum is still completely yeah. intact. But everything else, I believe, was removed. But, but, it, the, but yeah, the but mid-brain, the, would... the midbrain is probably there. The hypothalamus is probably there. The striatum, half the, str- half the, the striatum, striatum have, it there. would be there. Yeah. yeah. They probably, it's probably like um, really, like when it's not just like, like if you think of like, you take a brain out of skull, we can just cut down the midbrain. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Half, mm-hmm. But they're probably not doing that. They're probably yeah, because... cutting the corpus callosum and then peeling away the mm. the cortical uh-huh. lobes yeah that lobe yeah interesting Maybe. it is yes. very, it's very interesting and there was actually a study back in 96 that actually um bas- basically they looked at the these people post um the surgery just to see where they were and 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 if it had arrested what they they went in for these surgeries for and about I think the success rate was about ninety three percent. I mean, wow. find my. That's not bad at all. Um, that's like especially if they're seizure free. That's a huge improvement that is, in quality of life. Mm-hmm. So it was ninety six percent of the patients experienced reduced or completely ceased occurrence of the seizures post surgery, and this was a study done of fifty two individuals in ninety six that had undergone oh. this procedure. That I mean, that in my mind blows my mind that there were yeah. fifty-two individuals that had yeah. this done. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And you know, they went on to say that you know, no significant long-term effects on memory, personality, humor, minimal changes to cognitive function overall. They said, but they even they like the one case that I was talking about. It said he went on to complete college, attend graduate school. He still scored above average on intelligence tests. Wow. 
and eventually developed a superior language and intellectual abilities despite the removal of his left hemisphere. So. That's cool. That's I find really that neat. Yeah. completely that fascinating, fascinating yeah. and amazing that, that neuroplasticity is that. Yeah. Right. Is there any, what, like, I'm sure there's an age cutoff where they yeah, no cause, longer. Because if you get brain surgery this. as an adult, yeah, and you, not, you not even removing the half of it, but just a portion yeah, of it. Yeah. I mean, your, well, you think about someone when they like have a stroke yeah, in one mm-hmm. side of their brain, they're basically totally they debilitated. Yeah. Speak. Yeah. So. I wonder if, like, if it's like puberty or like earlier than that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, from what I gathered, there was no actual cutoff. They say the success rate, you know, um, increases the younger you are. Well, inc- well, increases the younger you are. Anything under uh, three from three three. Uh, they, they the lowest they've done is three years old, three just three years old, okay. um, and they had those n- really high ninety success rates. By five, they say it was about seventy three percent successful mm. by five, and then it goes decreases further on. Mm. As far uh, as the success rate of removing the seizures, they did not address oh, but, but, but function about yeah. function or anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. When do the major pruning events happen through development? Are there specific time points when it mm-hmm. happens the most, right? Puberty isn't puberty one. Well, puberty is one, but definitely like early infancy, mm-hmm. there's lots of pruning happening. Um, there's pruning in fetal development. So presumably um, by three, that could still be happening? Yeah, probably. I, I actually don't know. As someone who studies humans, probably, and especially mm-hmm. developmental neuroscience, probably yeah. would, would know those um, time points. But yeah. But anyway, I found this, you know, very strange yeah. and very weird and very interesting. Cool. <laughs> Do you and, have that? Um, you know, the, this, uh, the one that was featured in the Scientific America article, you know, he was able to, uh, in in middle school, he was in art. He was actually, you know, able to create por- um, drawings and everything without any uh, problem. He plays the piano. Uh, he even is able to go bowling without... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, some he still has some motor control issues. Yeah, I but. can't even bowl that well, so sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, you still need. Like, I have the, my whole brain, the, and the that's, bumpers. Uh, I think the bumpers w- are worse for me. Yeah, <laughs> they just. Poof, poof, yeah. But yeah, and so it's just a testament. To I can't the, even lift the bowl, so. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. That's really cool. It's very cool. And one of the reasons why I like studying the brain. Yeah. Because yeah. of the plasticity of the nice. brain. So It is such awesome. a resilient organ. It is. That's what yeah. amazes me. It is very, very resilient. Nice. So, Stephanie, I'm wondering if you have a very interesting <laughs> segue <laughs> on your topic. I do. I have a very yeah. interesting I think we need segue. to do a disclaimer. We need to do a parent advisory. advisory. A parent advisory. Okay. Do we need it? Well, okay. If there are any... <laughs> Children who are listening to this, uh-huh. parents, just know that I'm about <laughs> to talk about sex. 
Yeah, is right. that a disclaimer enough? Is that That's good? That's good. And then after that, maybe maybe murder. So. And then, yeah, yeah. This is where we take a turn into the dark side. Yeah. Spiders are spooky. <laughs> but they were spiders so... Are, but you were are, like, you know, they have all these brains and ganglion yeah. and smart. And now we're okay. going to talk about sex and yeah. then murder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So disclaimer. Yeah, that's advisory. <laughs> Just you know, if you don't want your kids to listen, don't make them listen. <laughs> <laughs> so has anybody ever heard? There's no segue because I don't know how I can go from. Uh, what was it? A hemi hemisphere hemispherectomy into yeah, not a hemisphere. I had hysterectomy in my head. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, I don't have a good segue from that to this. Has anybody ever heard of the Coolidge effect? The no. Coolidge effect. I never really heard that, but I have like, no idea what it is. It's like I've heard it. I've At least you've heard, heard, heard it. I've heard the, the, that before. Okay. It's familiar. It's so my original intention for this podcast was to talk about a study that wanted to erase memories, bad memories. Um, and what they would do, and I heard this on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I tried to look for this paper everywhere and I couldn't find it. And then the, the reasons will become obvious. Okay. But what they said, wait, wait, don't tell me. It's that they were talking about major news from the previous decade. And at some point, some researchers decided that they wanted to try to erase bad memories uh, from rodents. And I can't remember if it was mice or rats. I'm pretty sure it was rats. And they would give them a foot shock. And then to erase that memory, they would expose the rats to a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they said in Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. This is me. what they said in Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Okay. And this is why I so could, probably you, couldn't find the paper. Did you start Googling rat threesome? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I couldn't find it. Literally in PubMed, it was like, no items match your search. <laughs> I was like, rat threesome, mice threesome. No, nothing. Nothing turned out. I'm like, memory threesome. <laughs> memory deletion with a threesome <laughs> hopefully this was only in PubMed you didn't actually go to real Google right oh I did go to oh, real no. Google too <laughs> I bet you got oh, some no. interesting results I actually didn't oh. yeah I was expecting weird stuff to uh -huh. come up yeah but no, oh, just like yeah. no, no. They no, they would. But <laughs> I was careful in Google though because I did write like memory like i'd make sure mm -hmm. to put memory in there memory deletion or something mm -hmm. about the hippocampus okay. and this yeah. was yeah. implanting a memory of a threesome not actually give or or, or were they <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that because the way they describe they, it how do they wait wait don't tell me it was like they would put the rodent and make it have a threesome. Okay. There's no how, way how that you make that How would that happen, right? Because that, I was thinking no about no sexual behavior in rodents and how no that way. normally happens. I'm like, how are they going to do a threesome? That's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, they would just like that, that run away even. from each other. Like, yeah. that's what they do. Or fight each or other. Or fight each other. Exactly. Yeah. Just, no. So, or do they... Do they have two females who are receptive and they just put a male in there? Which kind of segues into <gasps> what the Coolidge effect is. Okay. I could say something like, but two males and one female? Nah. Well, it's not It's not a real threesome, <laughs> but I was thinking the two males, one female. Well, uh, you could, no, they would fight each other. <laughs> well, no, no, the you males. tether the males, so it's not a real threesome, but you tether the males and then... The female, oh, she's darker. got free access and so she well, maybe can... She doesn't want, both maybe, both maybe she doesn't want... Maybe she doesn't... Well, that's that. a way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, okay, so and she so, chooses. She times. She times the pacing of it, which uh -huh. is what which is what do, they do. But you still yeah. can't guarantee 
that that will happen. Of course, exactly. <laughs> and it's not not even comparable. But yeah. yeah. So. OK. So whether that was true or not, I don't know because I couldn't find the paper. But that <laughs> search led me to the Coolidge effect, okay. Okay. which also has a kind of funny, interesting story behind its name. But anyway, so the Coolidge effect essentially is the renewal of sexual behavior after the presentation of a novel or novel sexual partner. Novel. So novel. novel. Thank you. <laughs> English is hard, okay? English is hard. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Repeat that. So the renewal of sexual behavior after the presentation of a novel sexual partner. Hmm. The renewal. Mm, yeah. The renewal. Okay. okay. So there's this idea that after a lot of sexual encounters there's some habituation and they don't the same partner and, and with they, the same partner they yeah. don't want to have sex as and much they anymore. don't want to have sex anymore but if you present a new partner oh. then there's a renewal <laughs> <laughs> oh okay i get it <laughs> and this is an, they're rejuvenated re-energized yeah. yes this is in their previous relationship or this new relationship i mean I mean, um, in a rodent <laughs> relationship. Well, you know, I mean, like, is it? She's, she's. I'm, I'm saying, if they, if they lose interest in their previous partner and a new partner is presented, do they gain interest in both the old partner and the oh, new yeah. one, or is it just the new one? Just the new one. Okay. Yeah. So no, no, they did do research about that. They were like, okay, so you know, we have in this. Here's another thing. A lot of these studies have been done in males because it doesn't, first of all, because obviously we know that there's not a lot of interest in studying females, but also because they they did try to study it in females a little bit a while back, but they found varying results in females. Sometimes they would prefer a new one. Sometimes they would not want the new one. <laughs> and with females, a lot of it had to do with the stage of the hormone cycle mm -hmm. that they were in mm -hmm. yeah so and also the the difference between the receptive and proceptive behaviors yes right yeah so it, it, it is a little bit trickier in females yes. to try to elicit this this effect yeah so for people who maybe aren't familiar with those terms um receptive and proceptive are basically different ways we describe how a female will interact with a male for reproduction. And so like receptive is just like, it sounds, it's considered like when the male mounts her, she goes in rats, especially go into this position called lordosis, which is the curvature of the back to per basically so he can have access to the vagina. And basically she doesn't go into lordosis. He can't force his way in. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. she has to be receptive but proceptive behaviors are actually all these other behaviors that weren't studied as much until very recently that females are doing to indicate to a male that she's interested in him so before yes. the actual mm -hmm. mounting ever happens the female is doing a lot of these things like darting and ear wiggling she's basically flirting i with would them. love to one day <laughs> yeah, see some ear wiggling, ear wiggling. <laughs> yeah. yeah i would too so there's it a reminds lot. me so, of alfalfa from it, the little rascals yeah so there's there's a it's 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 very it's it's a it is a kind of more complicated process because with m males it's usually he mounts he 
intromits, he ejaculates, he's done. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and actually, you give. I mean, with this Coolidge effect thing, is like he mounts, and they say that it's about for for a period of about two and a half hours that this happens. That the actual mount, like he mounts once, then he doesn't, yeah, then he, he mounts breaks. again. Yeah. So wow. they but say it, the, it's not like last mounting two and a half hours. No, 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 no. <laughs> he takes breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but over they're the super quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for people who don't know, rat, it'll literally like on off. Yeah, on, on off. Yeah, on off. Just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's that fast. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's not like no, it doesn't last for two and a half hours. <laughs> but um, so what I wanted. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> this is a, it's. I'm so amazed by the research that has been done into this because I had no idea. First of all, that this was a thing, and then second of all, that there was so much research about mm -hmm. the Coolidge effect and mm -hmm. studying. Obviously, I know that there was a lot about sexual behavior in females, but not so much with males. And then there's this idea of introducing a new partner, and all of a sudden, he is interested again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came up on a study that because a lot of people say that this happens so that there's this increase in genetic diversity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's why it happens. That's mm -hmm. why if you introduce a new partner, the male's all of a sudden, sudden interested again. And then so that he can probably had children with the Probably. Oh, yeah, exactly. So but then the point some the, the <laughs> having more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, before I finish this, don't let me forget to tell you where this got the name. OK, because okay. it's kind of funny. Okay. But anyway, what I wanted to say is that there has been some research to suggest that it's not because there's there's this need to increase genetic diversity like in the whole spectrum of evolution right mm -hmm. because they were uh there was this research that looked at the amount of sperm in the ejaculate mm -hmm. and after the first couple of times there's not a lot of sperm so mm -hmm. if there's not a lot of sperm to fertilize an egg then there's not really that genetic diversity thing is not really happening. Mm -hmm. So why is this happening? And then people started to look at the rewarding behaviors of sex. And there's this camp of people who study this that just say that it's just because of the rewarding effect because they have done microdialysis studies into the nucleus accumbens mm -hmm. and there's like a huge dopamine rush. When they switch partners. When they switch partners. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a huge dopamine rush at the beginning when they're with their partner. And then that kind of weans off as okay. the male is satiated or habituated, whatever you want to call it. And then you introduce a new partner and then there's a huge rush of dopamine again. That is that the levels have been similar to those at the beginning with the original partner. Yeah. And so there are people just saying maybe they just do this because it's rewarding and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. has anyone studied whether the Coolidge effect happens in a monogamous species of rodents like the So yeah. The review I read said that it has been studied in rats, mice, hamsters and voles. However, I didn't read the study on the voles. <laughs> so that would be interesting. So I don't and it know. It might not be the monogamous voles. And it might, right? yeah, they just said voles. Yeah. So I don't know which kind of vole. Voles don't typically mate with their not partner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, they, they, it can happen, definitely. It, so, like, that's why they normal. call them socially monogamous. Mm -hmm. They're not always sexually monogamous, mm -hmm. but, they, but they obviously are continuing to 
uh, reproduce with their partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they, they will have several litters together. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. right. um, that's why I'm curious, like, if the it's like there's less of a Coolidge effect. Yeah. Or, or they just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll look it up and then I'll tell you guys. Okay. <laughs> Next time. An update. Yeah, and I'll do an update <laughs> on the voles. Yeah, but that is the Coolidge effect. They, As I said, they tried in females and there are some people who say, yes, there is a Coolidge effect in females and others who say, no, there isn't. Mm-hmm. And they all say that, you know, it really depends. So here's the big question. Uh-huh. Is there a Coolidge effect in humans? In humans. Well, of course we know there's a colloquial term for this which is the seven year itch <laughs> um, but i'm curious about in a in a scientific perspective if they, they've done like brain scans and shown so like, pictures of your partner versus pictures of like a in the stranger two, <laughs> in the two reviews i read they tried to answer the question but i don't think um I don't think it was probably a good way to go about it because they were doing mm-hmm. um, MRI studies. Yeah. Some others were just fill out a questionnaire and of tell course. me, yeah. you know, whether you're interested or not. <laughs> but they had so many different ways that they would just show. They would watch uh, videos with a lot of sexual content, aka porn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then they would have like gauges around the penis of men oh, to see yeah. if the penis would get bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the word for that? Arousal. Arousal. Thank you. The <laughs> the scientific word for that. <laughs> and then, um, and but it was like some were using pictures, others were using just sound. Other people were just using uh, videos. Mm-hmm. And they what they found is that after like 10 tries or 15 tries of showing them the same video or the same sound or the same images, there wouldn't be arousal. Yeah. Which is to be expected, right? Because yeah, you're habituated. You habituate to all kinds of sensory Sensory stimuli. information, yeah, sensory right. Information, yeah. And on some of them, they would present something new, like a new... Uh, like a new video or a new sound or something new. Mm-hmm. And then for some, arousal would happen. For others, it wouldn't. Well, you know, now I'm wondering with this whole Coolidge effect thing, it sounds like they study it in rats, like in the context of like two hours. Mm-hmm. But what yeah. if you gave like a long time, like several days, and then you brought the male back to the same female? Would yeah. the Coolidge effect still be there? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because I mean, they do the studies just the kind of hours. Times, like, yeah, get, that time you, you wear get, out. You, yeah, you wear tired. out, and then maybe because it's a novel, <laughs> but the thing is, the, a the novel thing female. Is that, yeah, he's worn you, you, out. You get you get motivated, but then, yeah. Yeah. But the new one comes but, out, yeah. and you're yeah. not that tired anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. At least with the humans, I don't think because in. In, in rodents or in animals, they talk about partners, right? But in the human studies, you can't ethically they make d- people. You can't make people do that for sure. And then when yeah. they were showing them the pictures, it wasn't like they were showing them pictures of their partner. Right. Right. They were just, they were just random pictures, yeah. and so I think that was more testing whether there was arousal or, or not and how long it lasted, uh-huh. but not really the Coolidge effect, the yeah. true Coolidge effect. And that's a different setting too than yeah. like your average. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You're in a lab setting. That's. Mm-hmm. So who knows things. whether it happens in humans or not? Mm. Yeah, but 
Since we're talking about humans now, the Coolidge effect <laughs> got its name from the 30th president of the United States. So Calvin. Calvin. Yeah, Calvin. I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, so why, well, yeah, why, why, why is it after Calvin? Yeah. So it happens that, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Coolidge were doing a tour of a large farm. And then Mrs. Coolidge goes walking into this chicken area and she sees that a rooster is mating repeatedly. So she asks the guy, the guy, the guide, <laughs> um, like, how many times is this rooster made in a day? And the guide says, oh, plenty of times, dozens of times. And she's like, well, when, Mo when Mr. Coolidge comes around, tell him that. Oh. <laughs> 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 and then Mr. Coolidge is doing the tour and he walks near the chicken area. And he goes, he is near the hen house. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> And so he he the he's asking uh you know he's asking the the guide questions and the guide tells him what Mrs. Coolidge says and then he's like you know thinking thinking and then he's like okay so but does this rooster made with the same hen or with different ones <laughs> and the guide is like with different ones and then he's like well then tell Mrs. Coolidge that <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's oh where God. the name comes from. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Uh, trouble in paradise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This kind of sounds like a, a that happened, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's not yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it was on Wikipedia. They put it. Yeah. They put it on every paper. It sounds that like it's about almost like an effect. urban legend. About yeah. It. yeah. But maybe. 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 That's maybe. interesting. Well, he was silent, Cal, so maybe she was complaining. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> there are plenty of anecdotes of people like... I, I was watching the documentary the other day, and I think it was once he, when he died, somebody was like, but how do you know he died? Like, yeah. he never makes any noise. That's right, yeah. Like, how do you know he was really dead? Uh -huh. So, hmm. she just didn't like to talk. So, speaking of death... Oh, oh segue segue. Into death. thank Can you so much. Okay, so I want everyone to get their thinking caps on, thinking their imagine caps. caps on, or imagining caps. Yes. Oh, you said okay. create creative imagination caps. Creative imagination. Okay. Imagine that you have met somebody uh -huh. charming and nice. <laughs> Your family likes them. Your friends like them. You like them. Uh huh. You fall in love. Get married, <laughs> and then you live happily ever <laughs> until <laughs> you're sleeping, and they stab you five times in the chest and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, sounds like a fairy tale. Sounds yeah, like yes, a fairy tale to me. Um, oh, that never happens to people. <laughs> They never live happily until they get stabbed to death. I hope not. But for poor um, Kathleen Leesner, or listener or something, um, she was the wife of Charles Whitman, who killed her and his mother and a lot of other people in um, a Texas shooting that maybe you guys have heard about. It happened in, oh, I don't know, have a date, like 96 or something. Nope. Um, but 
Charles Whitman went to the top of the University yeah. of Texas Tower and killed... I don't killed, know if it was 96, but... I don't remember the date now. It, I feel like I wrote wait, it Wait, no, somewhere. it wasn't 96. It was like... No, no, no. It was like in the 80s, 70s. Maybe it was. That's something I should have written down. Probably. I feel like it was in the 90s. Anyway. It's the UT Tower shooting. The UT Tower shooting, um, where he killed... 14 people and injured 38 others before he was shot and killed by the police. Yeah. It was 66. Dang it. <laughs> what? All right. Yeah, 1966. 1966. 66. So I got that wrong. Yeah. It so wasn't 96. because you, you just flipped the I, number. Yeah. yeah, I did. I knew that Nine was Nine was upside down. Because I would have remembered that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a story that... I mean, maybe some people have heard and I've unfortunately heard hits way too close to home for like people now and a lot of people because this kind of thing is happening a lot. Um, so the point of me telling you this is not to make everyone depressed and sad and think about <laughs> what's wrong with our world, um, but to, t to think about this particular instance and okay. what was kind of weird All right. about him. Um, so he grew up, he had a very high IQ and he um, he was very likable and athletic and fun. Um, he was an Eagle Scout Played the piano, volunteered. Got to watch out for those Eagle Scouts, though. <laughs> well, maybe so. Um, and he loved his wife and his mother very much. And um, so what? Oh, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, so it turns out uh, close to the time that he did this, he experienced these terrible headaches. Okay. Um, that were really bad. He said that he was taking like so much Excedrin. He went through like two bottles in a couple months, which is... That's a lot. That's a lot That's of excedrin. Yeah. Um, and he would get these aggressive bouts and um, kind of get these violent instances, but then he would feel really sorry for it right afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and he started writing a lot, like hyper, it's called hypergraphia. So hmm. he would just write. So he started this diary and he wrote all of these notes and he would write notes to himself and to his wife. And they would be notes that would be um, like for him, it would say like, control your anger, stop cursing, don't let your passion control you, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But then he would write like in his diary, really nice things about his wife, how like, I called her today and she just sounded so wonderful and she's the best thing that ever happened to me and I love her so much. And it would just be like all over the place, these uh -huh. notes. And he started seeing doctors and psychiatrists because he would get these terrible headaches and he also had these crazy violent tendencies and he um, had overwhelming feelings of anger and hostility. And he even told one of his psychiatrists that he thought about killing people from the tower. Oh, the, mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't know that. At least some, some one reported that, that, that had happened. Okay. Um, and then before his final days and his final actions, he talked to the police asking them to arrest him. Wow. And they said, well, you haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. You've not committed a crime. Yeah. So what are we going to do? And they told him to go see a, doc a psychiatrist or a doctor. And mm -hmm. he went to see a doctor and told the doctor about all these things. Like he had been doing this for a little bit. Um, and after that, he wrote, I'm not sure exactly the timing, how close this was to when he started killing people. But um, he wrote in his diary that, um, his instead of going back, he was gonna try to 
fight it on his own. And he um, he said he didn't understand himself. He has unusual and irrational thoughts. And it was hard to concentrate, but he was going to try to try to be better about it. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. And so then the night before he went to the tower, um, he actually went to his mother's house and he um, went to the, I guess he just went in and he beat her unconscious and stabbed her in the chest. Whoa. And then he left a note on her that said that he um, was really upset that he did that and he was sorry. Um, he couldn't explain why he'd done, but his mother would definitely be in heaven because that's where she would be. And then he went home to mm -hmm. his wife and she was asleep in bed and he took the sheets off of her and stabbed her three to five times. Whoa. And killed her and it said instantly. I don't know. Um, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And covered her back up with the sheets and put another note and it said that it was after very much thought that I decided to kill my wife, Kathy, tonight. I love her dearly, and she has been a fine wife to me as any man could ever have hoped to have. I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this. I imagine it appears that I br brutally killed both of my loved ones. Hmm. And then he goes on to say that he tried to do it quickly um, to give his life insurance to donate to a mental health foundation and to uh, do an autopsy on him. Mm. after his death okay and then he also had said that he wanted to end his wife's and mother's suffering and embarrassment prevent them from the embarrassment of his actions oh well yeah <clears throat> so do you think Crazy. that do you think that that means he had foresight that he was going to go to the tower then so like he had a plan and yeah. then he killed yeah, i think his, so his, and so that's what he i think by he the wanted to prevent yeah them from dealing with his actions well and he then was definitely somebody do. said that he said that he was going to go to the tower yeah right or he said he i think it was that he was like thinking of it it was on his mind but i guess yeah. a psychiatrist talks to a lot of people who say things and Mm -hmm. You know, well, I'm I'm definitely thinking right now that this obviously this was 1966. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the same procedures. Probably not because like to nowadays you say anything homicidal and a psychiatrist or doctor can hold you against your will basically in a and, yeah. for 48 to 72 hours because mm -hmm. you, whether it's suicidal or homicidal, maybe this has something to do with that because it sounds like he sought out help from law enforcement yep from and doctors, multiple doctors and even psychiatrists yeah like yeah and no, and no one was like you should go no. home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy um and then he never wrote about his actions with the tower but um like specifically mentioned that but mm -hmm. he specifically mentioned his wife and his mother um, but then the next day after he killed both of them, that's when he went to the top of the tower and just shot at anything moving for 96 minutes Wow! until the police got there. So it took the police that long to get there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Terrible. Um, and so after he was killed, um, they did an autopsy. And they found there was this tumor about the size of a walnut that was um, underneath the thalamus and uh, around the hypothalamus and compressing the amygdala. 
Wow. Mm. So these regions are very common with kind of emotion and anger, fear, aggression, that kind of thing. Um, And so the earliest research of these brain regions was done in rhesus monkeys Mm -hmm. in 18, in the 1800s. Um, And they removed the amygdala, I think, thalamus, um, hypothalamus area, and it actually reduced aggression in these monkeys. So they've kind of have studied this region for a while. Um, And in humans, they've noticed, you know, electrical stimulation back when they would do stuff like this, when Mm -hmm. they would actually stimulate different areas of the brains during, I guess, surgeries. Mm -hmm. It would activate um, fear um, and aggression. And some people would, you know, start like gritting their teeth and snarling and like attacking people when these regions were stimulated. And... Um, and then more recent data has shown that in fMRI images that the amygdala is more active when a threat is coming towards you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more active in people with PTSD and yeah. um, mood dysregulation, personality disorders, and then abusers actually have more amygdala act- activation than control people. So people Whoa. who are spouse spousal abusers. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. I didn't know that. So, yeah. Um, so this is definitely an area that could contribute to that. But then you read more about Charles and you see he had a gambling problem. He was in the Marines for a while and he actually got honorably discharged because he threatened another Marine officer. Um, and he had been physically abusive to his wife a few times. He was obsessed with guns at an early age and his father was abusive. Yeah. So oh, it's man. That, that's... maybe he wasn't so perfect, but it begs the question, what yeah. was I mean, it? Was it yeah, a combination? I mean, it, sound, it sounds like he was at least prone to violence Yeah. before the headaches Already. and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Started, right. Which the headaches are at least, in, uh, that's definitely indicative that you have. That he was getting. That he was getting the tumor. And, yeah. yeah. But it. But, of course, lots of people get brain tumors. Right. And I wonder and if I had a tumor area. in the same place, would I go crazy? Or would I <laughs> go on a killing frenzy myself yeah, more yeah. than yeah. he was? Yeah. I mean, and obviously there are people who don't have anything wrong with their brains in terms of tumors. Who, right. Who's do who things do like that. Who, who do yeah, things like exactly. this, So, And so I was reading yeah. about aggression, and there's two different types that they kind of categorize. There's instrumental and impulsive aggression. So instrumental mm-hmm. is like trying being aggressive for a purpose. So you're being cold, calculated, you're um maybe bugging somebody to steal mm-hmm. their money because you want money. Yeah. It's different than impulsive aggression, which is stimulated by fear and threat. Yeah. Um it kind of sounds like he was was instrumental. It sounds like he was, but also well, it there could was, be that, but a little both. A little, I was about to say, yeah, a I can see both, both because, in him. Because instrumental aggression, I think, takes more of the like your logical thinking and critical thinking. It just seems that, especially to carry out the the tower shooting, he had to plan some right, of that, right? And it, it it's not the same as like just impulsively. But then also the rationale for killing his mom and wife so that they wouldn't yes. have to go through the shame exactly. of that. Exactly. So yeah. That, yeah. that like part's was... not, doesn't sound impulsive to me. Yeah. Right. Hmm. But then if you think of it, if the amygdala was hyperactive, uh-huh. 
he and typically when that happens if he was sensing some sort of threat and he was afraid and he usually when people do that they take it out on people Mm -hmm. around them so maybe he just felt like he had to take it out on something he didn't understand what was happening and he was upset in like a constant state of threat right and he had to fight back and that and he had he still had his planning faculties intact it's just right but but his amygdala was so activated that his prefrontal cortex area couldn't inhibit control his judgment he couldn't weigh the benefits and the risks and the costs and yeah it makes me wonder too like obviously fear and aggression have relationships with each other but like you wouldn't necessarily like say that just because you feel afraid that you are going to be aggressive right and so that makes me wonder since he already had aggressive tendencies like maybe someone else who had the same kind of tumor maybe they would just feel terrified all the time and that's like, true yeah. crippled yeah. with anxiety and they and they and they couldn't do paralyzed almost with like inaction mm-hmm. where he seemed to go in this direction of like just being horribly aggressive in right. like one of the worst ways yeah hmm. it's it's hard to explain and yeah. it's hard to say you know was it the result of his father abusing him when he was a child was it a result of just violent tendencies in general or the tumor probably all of them them. probably yeah maybe as amanda was saying there was the there were these tendencies and then the tumor probably exacerbated yeah Yeah. it makes me think of and maybe when we in the future we just so you guys know we're thinking about doing um a series on neurological disorders Mm -hmm. um it makes me think of a um chronic traumatic encephalopathy Mm -hmm. which is the the uh concussion disorder that develops and you know there have been cases of people who get this disorder a lot of them athletes who kill their families or or Mm -hmm. or commit suicide in a really violent way with them like with themselves and become abusive and and become abusive right and you know but that doesn't necessarily mean that the brain disease itself will always produce right. aggressiveness, but you know maybe it's like a combination of like you had a tendency, yeah, and then this is the way you present symptoms, right? It could be. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And also, when you think of instrumental aggression versus mm-hmm. impulsive, instrumental is typically you're getting something from it right like if yeah why would i kill somebody if there was no benefit to me like some you know? like a someone who kills their spouse for life insurance right or something and that's like an that. in, more instrumental but impulsive then, um, would be passionate and you can also you can also question yeah. you know if if you find out that your wife is cheating on you and a few days later you kill her and her the person she was cheating on with is that impulsive or instrumental? Because obviously yeah. you wouldn't have done that if some sort of thing didn't happen to mm. provoke you in some way. So I think that there can be a mixture of both. And it sounds like in this case with Charles Whitman, he was provoked by absolutely nothing, but he felt provoked in some way and he acted mm-hmm. in the tumor was the... Do we know of other instances of other people who have had tumors where this has happened or not necessarily 
go out and kill, but I think I, I don't know if there 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 have been other cases where aggression. There's definitely been cases with tumors and behavioral changes and aggression. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, I think I read that there's like maybe seven or 800,000 cases of brain tumors, but only a handful of cases that are anything like this where it causes something so violent to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, so I, I think it's, it can't just be a tumor that makes you go crazy and kill people. But you it's definitely of, something. You you think more along the lines of a combination. I think yeah. it was probably yeah. a combination. I don't think he would yeah. have done that if he didn't have a tumor. Yeah. But I think he it's had violent he tendencies. Have, he might have still been a hothead. Yeah. Maybe he yeah. would have continued abusing his wife. Right. But not necessarily commit mass murder. Right. And, yeah. and, and it, it seemed like he was in a frenzy too. Like yeah. He kind of stop manic um, killing. And it also. Um, a, amygdala dysfunction has also been associated with hypergraphia like writing a lot so mm-hmm. when oh yeah, yeah so that's another that's symptom another, yeah. of having it where he so probably when he started this whole like diary journal thing started getting these headaches all of this was all because of the tumor he wouldn't yeah. have but he was very open in his diary about all of his troubles uh-huh. yeah um which i think helped understand there's, there's to do the autopsy i i definitely know of, of cases of people going into a killing frenzy and it's like a psychosis like there's a mental disorder and they go into psychosis and but i don't yeah i don't i can't think of another example of someone who have like a tumor like right. this that's yeah i don't i don't know yeah, i didn't look at any other specific examples of yeah. a tumor causing something so severe like this but um it was very mm. interesting how the brain can be kind of hijacked by some yeah. sort of mm. illness yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, to yeah. do something like this. Yeah. Well, that's a sad story, but very also sad. in the sense of talking about the brain, a cool story. Yeah. In terms yeah. Of- it'd, be t- it'd be cool if the brain tumor could have like made him just like the most nice person that would go well, out. And- I mean, <laughs> maybe it could have. You know. I, yeah. I wonder if, if that's happened. Maybe next yeah. time I should find a case of somebody who something nice, i don't know yeah. but maybe maybe a brain tumor is never a good thing so <laughs> um this reminds me of uh the sinner oh yeah remember yeah. that first season where she kind of goes into this mental state yeah and kills the, and kills a guy yeah because the music triggered, triggered her it, yeah. and brought her back to that time when she mm-hmm, was yeah being assaulted did, yes. raped right that's yeah. what happened yeah. it was yeah. a drug induced spoilers yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah spoiler alert. Well, I, I haven't seen this well yeah. we already did a parental advisory <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah yeah that well, goes you're without spoiling saying. it spoiling. for me because i haven't seen this oh, oh you is need it? to watch okay. it yeah it's a yeah, pretty good, good show especially yeah. that first the season. first season i didn't like the second one okay yeah yeah okay well what a way to close huh? weird brain stuff i hope everybody enjoyed our Trump through weird brain stuff. Um, we enjoyed talking about it, I'm sure. Yeah, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess that wraps us up for this time. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at, at the brain podcast. Um, our website is the brain that named itself.com. And, and if you have any questions, concerns, or criticisms, you can Email us at questions <laughs> at brain that named itself dot com. 
And so that wraps us up. So bye for now. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. bye. bye.